This episode of Strange Assembly is brought to you by www.l5rsearch.com. L5rsearch.com is a comprehensive online L5R card database with tools to assist in optimizing your decks, proxying cards, or simply finding out about unusual cards. Once you know what you need, www.l5rshop.com puts cards in your hands quickly and economically. This is Strange Assembly, episode 98, Stones. I'm Chris Stevenson, and I'm here today with Brian Reese, the lead designer for the Legend of the Five Rings CCG. Hey, Brian. Hey, Chris. Hey, everyone. And as our, our listeners probably know by now, the third... Ivory Edition video design diary was recently posted during which Mr. Reese made some rather significant, I'd say, announcements about uh, ways that the rules for L5R are going to be tweaked going into Ivory Edition. So uh, that's the main thing we're going to talk about here today. I guess... Of the the changes that you talked about in the design diary, Brian, which one do you think is the most significant? Of the ones that we've gone over, I don't know, it's really tough to say. So splitting your gold is makes it so much better to play the game. Like I hate going back since I hate, but I you know, when I go back to Emperor Edition and I can't split my gold, it is such a frustrating experience and I I, I'm looking at two guys that cost five gold each, and I have ten gold to spend, and I can't buy them both because they're all even producers. That's obviously a huge thing. The pay what you see, while that's huge for teaching new people how to play the game and not having to teach it. Okay, you know, this is a guy from your clan. He costs six, but since he's from your clan, you can get him for four. Ah, but if you want to gain his honor, you have to pay two more, so you're back up to six. And if you don't meet his honor requirement, you got to pay two more. So now you have to eight, right? You, you know, not having to explain any of that is big, but as far as impact on the game, that's probably not as big as the gold splitting. So it probably to be the gold splitting or the removal of starting holdings. You know, I talked about it a bit in in the design diary, but uh, border keep and really the starting holdings have been a significant issue with blitz decks ever since gifts and favors came around. I mean, even in Gold Edition, the deck that I won uh, Gen Con with, the, the Phoenix, it wasn't even really a Blitz deck. But the deck more or less ran its entire deck off Gifts and Favors. Had a few more holdings in there just because it was Gold Edition. There wasn't anything better to run. <laughs> had it not been Gold Edition, and I'd been able to fill it with with good events, then I would have. So probably either the removal of the starting holdings or the splitting. Yeah, I, I have to say I was... I was very happy to see the the way uh, the one you mentioned there, which I guess you didn't think was as significant. The what you see is what you pay, because that is something that I had argued would be a better way to set the game up without having to do this. Oh well, it says your guy costs seven, but really you're only ever going to pay five for him unless you want to gain honor, and then you have to pay an extra two. I did not think that you guys would be willing to actually take that drastic looking a step to improve the game it is i mean it's a big thing but it winds up 
not being that big except for when you're teaching new people, which is obviously very, very important. It's always a tough thing to implement. If we were going to do it, this was probably going to be our best time because we are taking the power down. Uh, so what it, it allowed us to sort of get away with is we're able to create personalities that are more or less good for Emperor Edition. Then when Ivory Edition hits and the rules change go away, they just all sort of increase their gold cost by two. <laughs> yes, yes. I something that's that's good because I, I, you know, I've been in in favor of a power down. But yes, it's kind of funny. You look at guys that are are previewed that right now cost two less really than than the printed card says. And you're like Emperor Edition. Yeah, that guy's not really playable, and they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna cost two more when we hit Ivory. Uh, yeah. That is a uh, actually on a it's not. A really specific rules change question, but where is the speed of Ivory Edition going to end up? I when I look at that, I look at how much more personalities cost and the sort of odd, not exactly one turn more that the combination of the removal of Border Keep and the addition of Splitting produces. Yeah, half uh, a turn. Is what it works out to be. Yeah, that's like half a turn. It seems like bat battle actions actually have gold costs now. That's always been one of the I thought one of the design limitations for L5R is that strategies all cost nothing. So it's got to be incredibly difficult to try to balance them when they almost all have a gold cost of zero. Now it feels like good strategy cards very frequently have a gold cost, and you see things like you know battle straighten a card that were just atrocious in, in Emperor Edition, but that's going to be maybe what you get for free, if you're paying free. What are you aiming for, for how the balance of power between personalities and attachments and strategies works in Ivory Edition? Yeah, I get into a little bit more in a later design diary, but to touch on okay. it a little bit, but I can touch on a little bit here. Um, you know, it is going to be a pretty decent power down, but the important thing to remember is that the power down doesn't mean like it's less fun or anything, right? It just means you're do you're having the same game just by doing different things. So like a personality, our target number for personality, like one of our baselines was in Emperor Edition and has been in Celestial as well, I think maybe Samurai. Um anyways, what it has been is uh three three for five, three for cheap. Uh personality with your keyword. Uh, right, so, you know, a Scorpion Clan Samurai Magistrate would be a 3-3 three, three for 5. You know, somewhere right around there. And now that target number is up. Um, so now it's 3-3 three, three for 4, but, you know, we don't do the discount anymore, right? So 6 six or 4, you know, 6 modern day, 4 and I edition. So personality for your keyword, right? So the personalities are going to get a little bit more expensive. What it winds up being is Force gets a little bit more expensive than what it is currently. And what this winds up doing is creating a scenario where in Ivory, uh, excuse me, in Emperor Edition, and what has been mostly, I think, since Diamond, maybe since Lotus, is the math to threaten a province is two cards. You know, a couple 4 4 skies, maybe a 4 4 sky plus a 4 4 attachment. At certain points have been 4 plus 5, but what it, right, a, t a combination of two cards to threaten a province. And now that math is coming to three cards to threaten a province. So instead of a couple 4 4 skies, you'll have a couple three-force guys and maybe a two-force follower or something. The general math is going to be three cards to swing at a province. Um, and that slowed the game down. And what it, what it sort of does is brought 
has brought the game's power level down to a point where it's sort of where it, where it needs to be. Like I, I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm doing a particularly great job of explaining this, but it brings it down to meet where everything else is. So on a power level of like one to ten, in Emperor Edition, you know your average was probably somewhere around power level six, seven. There were power level eights cards out there, and obviously, you know. So what you wind up seeing is mostly sevens and eights, maybe even some nine power, you know, really powerful cards. Uh, and what that means is a lot of cards that are naturally just at a lower power level, you know, they just completely fall off the radar. Radar. Something like a force bonus or a force penalty, you know, that's just a joke in Emperor Edition, right? You never play with a card that says, you know, give a guy a minus three force or something like that. But when the power level of everything comes, of all this other stuff comes down. It comes down to a point where it meets these other things, and suddenly so many more options are opened up. Attachments naturally become a more viable option. You know, some of these things like force bonuses and force penalties become viable options. And you don't lose any of the fun in the game. Actually, it becomes even more of a fun game, because it's not just, I kill you, you kill me, I kill you, you kill me, battle done. It, yeah, I know a lot of people would, would say that one of the big fun parts of L5R is the back and forth of of combat especially, but to, to a lesser extent in, in the open phase and, and maneuvering, and that when the game gets to too high a, a power level, or it, you know it's too fast in a battle action, or too strong, that you lose some of that because everything's over so fast with just obliteration on one side or the other, or people don't even bother to defend and just trade provinces without you know, just have one fight at the last battle, or yeah, exactly, exactly. That's our aim with Ivory Edition is is get out of that territory. Because yeah, I mean, you do lose, you do lose some of the fun game when you get at the way too high end or the way too low end. And so you know, we're coming down to bring it down more towards the middle. It's been a lot of fun. I'm I'm really enjoying it. It's um, it does amaze you when we first started playing Ivory, we're like, wow. This card, which you know, you would never even play with an emperor, right? You wouldn't even consider playing with it. Maybe in a sealed deck, maybe. <laughs> and in and in ivory, it's getting cut because it's too powerful, right? <laughs> so it's just sort of how it is. But I mean, there's there's just a lot more back and forth, and and yeah, I mean, there's nothing I haven't already said at this point. The what you see is what you pay. I think was kind of a uh, it, it's sort of easy to see how how a designer would pick that out as something to address, but something like gold can be split is i mean that's something that's never been done in the game and i don't think it's necessarily an an obvious thing to pick out as well this is something we should try to change to to streamline the game and improve the experience how did you how did you guys come up with the idea to do that and what was your your process to determine that yeah this is a change that would be for the benefit of the game well, I mean, we're sort of used to it as L5R players, but it is something somewhat unique to L5R to where, you know, if you have, as I used the example, if you have 16 gold to spend, you can't just say, okay, I have 16 gold to spend, here's 16 gold worth of stuff, you know, go. You have to make sure and make sure it balances out. And I mean, it doesn't create any kind of fun experience. It's not like you ever balance it out and wind up with too many odd-costing guys and not enough odd producers and say, Ah, I can't buy this stuff even though I have the gold for it. Man, that was fun. <laughs> I mean, it's not a good experience. So we started looking and saying, okay, is this... And it's it's weird to teach someone. Like, as I've been 
teaching the game over these last however many years to new players, it's always sort of a weird thing where combining the claim discount thing and the you can't split, right? So they'll have their stronghold and they'll have, you know, maybe the border keep. And they'll have a guy that costs seven and a large farm. And like to try to explain how that works, like, well, you can buy the seven guy because you can get the two gold discount. So he only costs five. And I know that you have six gold left over or you have six gold. So you have one left over, but you can't use that to buy the large farm because these cards can combine to buy one card. But one card can't split to buy multiples. And so it just makes it just makes the game a lot easier. You just simply look now and you're like, all right, well, I've got this much money to spend. I can buy this much worth of stuff. Bow, go. With the exception of of Lion, three gold holdings have historically been kind of a weird place in recent L5R because you have two gold holdings that could be bought off your border keep, and then you have four gold holdings that could be bought off your stronghold. And so you have uh, oftentimes a three gold holding effectively costs four because you had to buy your stronghold. That's not quite the same now with the gold can be split thing because you can't use that extra one but there's still a lot of of talk in initial discussion that three gold holdings are going to be really painful to run because you really really need to shoot for that two two gold holdings on turn one and you're just not you're you might just want to shy away from things that are only three for threes because you can't consistently get that one large farm when they're in your experience with ivory edition how does the status of three gold holdings change with the gold splitting rule? The gold splitting opens up some kind of some options that are kind of interesting, and it, it does something for us. I'll answer that real quick, but it does something for us on the design side that I really like. That's always been kind of a pain, where sometimes two gold costs were sort of the same. Uh, so, for example, discounted if your guy cost five or he cost six, oftentimes that was the same. Um, just cause, you know, gold didn't split up. Uh, and so when we went to go design guys like, well, you know, this guy costs six, so we gotta make him, uh, a little bit better to make him worth the six. Or, you know, this guy's only gonna be discounted for five, so he's gonna be that, you know, a little bit worse to make him worth that five. But, um, you know, in reality, oftentimes those people wound up cost the same. So that's one of the things that gold splitting's done on the design side is it's allow us to be a lot truer with when we're going to design things like we can make sure the difference between five and six is real you know it's never cheated it's never fake you never get that for free or whatever so when we charge an extra gold for that card it's a real gold that you are paying Uh, and what it's done to the holding schemes is it's turned holding schemes into we're now going to be having one for ones two for twos three for threes and four for fours and with this, obviously, the two for twos and the four for fours line up pretty well, and the three for threes and the one for ones line up pretty well. Because, yeah, as you say, outside of the outliers of line and unicorn, you want to make sure you flip up four gold worth of stuff on turn one. Uh, or, you know, if you can get a clan holding, even better, right? But your, your target number is four on turn one. And so it's created a couple different gold schemes that you can go with, whether you go with the, the three for threes and the one for ones, or the four for fours and the two for twos. And you'd probably naturally think that the four for fours and the two for twos is superior, right? Because you can flip up any combination of them and they work, but if you flip up two three-for-threes or two one-for-ones, they won't work. So we've made sure that when we've been designing, and you'll see them in the expansions as they come out, that we've designed the three-for-threes and the one-for-ones to be very synergetic so that it is a real choice when you go into Ivory. And there is a um, 
there's a legitimate argument where some people only play with, they prefer the three for three and the one for one schemes. That's their favorite way to play. Uh, where other people all prefer the four for fours and the two for twos. Uh, and there's certainly room to be doing the other stuff as we classically done three for twos and four for threes, et cetera. But obviously those are going to be more powerful holdings. Uh, and again, it, it allows us to be more honest with the gold cost. So if something costs four but only produces three, that's a pretty significant drawback. So we can make sure to cost it to make sure it is worth that extra one gold that you're going to be losing if you if that's the only holding that you that you flip up on turn one. Uh, where before, you know, whether something was a three for three or a four for three, oftentimes, again, it was the exact same thing on turn one, right? To the point to where the three for three inv- level didn't even exist. I mean, remote village, and that was it. <laughs> I mean, it was basically just a lion holding or, you know, basically if your stronghold produced three, here it is with some exceptions. Okay, you're mentioning strongholds, and one of the, the noteworthy changes that we have not talked about yet is double-sided strongholds. That That's going to be different. <laughs> <laughs> it Yes, it is different. Um, it's pretty interesting. First, I mean, it's less cards that you obviously have to take to a game to set up, which is a good thing. As I, you know, unless I talked about it in the, in the diary, it makes it really cool because you can make very flavorful and good abilities for going second, specifically for that clan, right? Because, you know, the way Scorpion Clan operates is obviously much different than the way Mantis operates. It's much different than Crab and so on and so forth. But, you know, the, what they've had to date has just been Bamboo Harvester. So it is it is different, but it's really cool. I think it's probably one of the better changes that we've made with Ivory Edition. And I do want to give credit to where credit is due. It came from uh, Manuel Del Rio Sanchez, playtester out of Spain. Came up with that idea, and I thought it was really inspired. I really liked it. So we tested it out and ran with it, and it worked out really well. I was kind of thinking, I don't know what a lot of people were picturing when you say the double-sided strongholds, but I think a lot of picture kind of people are kind of picturing tweaks, but... You know, right now, the benefit you get, or the compensation you get for going second, is bamboo harvesters. And an extra holding is a pretty big deal, and yet, I think that there's a very strong case to be made that it has turned out that bamboo harvesters is generally just not adequate compensation for going second. So, the differences in the two sides of these strongholds could be massive. How big of a difference are, are we usually talking about here between the going first and the going second side of strongholds? Uh, I mean, it varies in some cases because um, what what this what the the side B is the going second side is it's the it's the first side plus some extra abilities. I don't want to get too much into what it is, but in some cases it's, it's extra province strength, in other cases extra abilities and extra you get extra stuff. But I mean, it has been a pretty significant, and it is one of the things that we did data track a lot in Ivory Edition is, you know, how often do going first win versus going second? And we had about as close to 50-50 as we could, as we could get. Now this playtest, uh, the playtest environment does tend to not uh, 100% reflect what the actual environment is, because playtest is always looking for different, different things than you guys are generally looking for how do I make the game the most busted? <laughs> uh, a playtest is looking for that plus a bunch of other stuff. 
So we'll see what we'll see where the dust settles. It is something we were tracking: win ratios of going first versus going second. I don't remember exactly what the number was, but it was comfortably close to fifty-fifty. So we're pretty happy that we got it, that we got a good tweak. But you know, time will tell. Yeah. So I, I guess what you know, one of my questions, which I I think you answered in there, was the whether or not the side B's it was going to be all upside, or we were going to be ever going to see something like there's a drawback on side A. And the, and the example I thought of where, in, in my mind, one of that might come up would be naval is really brutal against military decks that go second to it. So you could probably argue that there, there's a justification for restricting naval when, when Mantis goes first. Are we going to see any sort of drawback side A's, or is it all upside side B's? It's all upside side Bs. You know, you might see some changes. Like, you know, the side A of Crab, if they happen to go first, only has seven province strength. So, I mean, I suppose you could consider that, right? That's one down from their classic eight. So, I mean, I suppose you could sort of consider that, but you're not going to see any of the, on side A of a stronghold, you can't declare naval invasions or things, you know, things along those lines. It's, it's mostly just, or it's exclusively just side B, you get extra stuff. And yeah, I mean, we are, I mean, obviously, Naval is one of the more brutal examples, especially Naval on Scorpion is probably the, the roughest example that was factored in and paid attention to. And hopefully we got the, we got the balance right there. It looks like we did. So my, my boys, the dragon always have issues when their military decks are going against a uh, higher honor military decks specifically. Do you want to tell, just tell me right now exactly what it is that all of my strongholds get? You could do that, right? I no? could, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I could. I, I'm really happy with where, uh, where where Dragon's at. So, I mean, time will tell where you get to see where you, you see it. But I am I am happy with how Dragon's at. They they've had a pretty good record. They're fun to play. They're a lot of fun. To play. One of the I guess it observations slash complaints that uh, I've seen a lot of is. Oh my gosh, what is this going to do to Legacy slash Open, especially the change in how personality costs look? How, if at all, are you guys going to address how to integrate these changes into those environments that also use older cards? We don't have any plans to make adjustments to Legacy. Or these older environments. So, I mean, this will just naturally kick every personality's gold cost in the game up by two, uh, assuming that you're buying it for cheap and you weren't trying to gain honor. Then you obviously don't change. It is just sort of one of those unfortunate side effects where in order to make the, the standard, the regular aspect of the game, the game that's played the most, that, that pays the bills to make it the best, that it does have this side effect on Legacy. Though I do wonder, I mean, last time I played Legacy, True Legacy, not Shiro Big Deck or anything, but last time I played True Legacy, my opponent gained 52 honor on turn two, three games straight. <laughs> and it was a really, really fast environment. And so I, I'm interested to see if, you know, this might just not have positive effects on the Legacy environment to where it slows it down a, a little bit. Well, suddenly all these guys that were boxable are no longer boxable. Or, you know, maybe they were only two gold, so they were just bought off your border keep or whatever, and now they have to cost the full four gold. So 
I'm not positive that it's going to have all negative effects on Legacy, but you know, I'll just be honest and put it out there: Legacy was not not what we were looking at when we were making these changes. I I, I don't know what you're complaining about, Brian. If your opponent gained 52 honor on turn two, that meant you got a turn two attack. You should have just blitzed him under on that turn. I don't know what's wrong with you. <laughs> well, the the crazy thing is. Just with how legacy is, like I think I went one and four or one and three. I won one of four games against him. <laughs> like he was gaining fifty-two honor on turn two, and I actually won one of the games. Uh well, see, he shouldn't have let you had a turn two. Yeah. There is an event, right? What? What's that event called? I'm sure it has some relation to this <laughs> podcast. I'm not sure. Unusual assemblies, something like that. Unusual gathering. I. Something like that. So, oh, oh actually, no, let me. I have one clarification before I go on to some of the the questions that we we got emailed in. For the what you see is what you pay. The one situation where that doesn't apply is if you're buying an out of clan guy. You still, you know, there still is a penalty for going out of clan guys. Now you clarified, if I understand correctly, that if you buy an an unaligned personality is not from another clan, so they're just like unaligned guys have always been. You just pay what they they yeah, say. Yeah, on unaligned people, you just pay what they see, what you uh, what they say. Yeah, the only time is when you buy someone from another clan. Obviously, assuming that he doesn't have your clan as well, uh, right? So Yoritomo R and I, Spider and Mantis both could would buy her for the for the discount rate. They wouldn't have to. Spider wouldn't have to pay two more gold because she says Mantis clan, right? But yeah, it's only if you buy someone with a different clan's alignment on it that you pay the two gold. You don't align, pay what you see. Uh, uh, what, what is created is, you know, 95-99% of the time, you just pay what you see. As opposed to the old way, which was you know, 10% of the time you paid what you see, maybe. You, you pay what you see when you're buying a guy for full and you already meet his honor requirement. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but now, what if you are unaligned? If you are unaligned, then you would be paying two more gold to buy anybody that has a clan alignment, basically. So you're unaligned, you pay what you see, and then basically everyone else in the game would cost you two more gold. Okay, so stuff like the, not, not that it, it may or may, I guess it may or may not be around in Ivory Edition, I guess that's uh, to be determined, but if you, so if you had the, uh, the Panku stronghold in Ivory Edition, which gives you a minus two to your fallen guys, that basically return them, returns the, you know, X clan fallen guys to, they cost what they say. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. You. Yeah. It would get rid of the I pay two more for you. See, I may have touched on some of the already, but actually, the very first question that someone sent to us. After watching your design diary and then presumably going on the Alderac forums and reading the discussion thread there was, why do L5R players whine about everything? I mean, seriously. <laughs> uh, I really don't think it's anything unique to L5R. I'm sure that, <laughs> I'm sure that Magic and Fantasy Flight games and, yeah, I'm sure they all get it. Uh, it it's just a reality of the internet. The great thing about the internet is everyone has a voice. The bad thing about the internet is everyone has a voice. Um, it, yeah, it's human nature. I don't, I don't mind it. It's, it's when the troops stop whining, because <laughs> that means no one's paying attention. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll take the whining all day. Okay. Uh, I guess now I know you've said that 
you're going to ad- address the specifics of this in a later design diary. So I'm not asking you to go into the specifics, but just because it's something that came up uh, when people ask positive questions about it, is it fair to say that something is going to be done with bamboo harvesters and border keep to ensure that those eternity bug cards are still functional for ivory edition? Yeah, though while you won't start with Border Keep and Bamboo Harvester and play anymore, all six of the Eternity Bug cards are going to continue to be Ivory Edition legal. So we'll get more into uh, the specifics later, but yeah, all six are going to make it through to Ivory Edition just like we always said they would. Now, I presume that we're getting the, the dribble of Ivory Edition rules because dribbling information out is a frankly, a standard marketing technique to keep people interested in and attentive. I've seen several people comment, and we got questions about, why don't you just, for, for rules things, shouldn't you just give us all the rules at once so we know what the heck is going on? Why are you going with the the spread out rules information rather than just dumping it all on us right now? Dumping it all would definitely not be the right call. Uh, <laughs> You know, it is it is just part of the way it's, you know, make sure players stay engaged, make sure we give you information in, in sizable chunks. Properly rolling it out is really an important, important way. And we're going to be rolling it out a little bit faster than what it's been. The last Ivory Edition Design Diary came basically at Coils of Madness, so back in May, and then this one came out in July. So they're going to be coming more often than once every two months. But, uh, but it, it is just, you know, there's a there's a lot of reasons for for doing it this way, and while I can understand why players want to know all the stuff now, sometimes when you give players what they want, that's not what they want, right? <laughs> it's about you know it's about knowing what's what's best for someone necessarily isn't isn't necessarily what they say they want. Does that it, make sense? It, yes, yeah. I mean, I I suppose the the obvious extreme example is that you could probably go online right now and. Just knowing vaguely what your development cycle is, you could probably go online right now and post what every single card in Ivory Edition does, and then we wouldn't get to play with those cards for another six months or whatever it is. The website says 2014. I'm assuming it's January or February so that it's legal for Cote season, but then we would all be bored with it by the time you actually had the product for sale, so that probably wouldn't work out so well. Yeah, I mean, there's sort of we sort of have a real-life example Unfortunately, but as it worked out. So uh, last last year, the October release was, uh, what would have been, Seize of Decay. Uh, the October release was Seize of Decay, and then we had Torn Asunder, which came out in February. But because Seize of Decay, we actually, it went out at Gen Con, basically the whole set was previewed at Gen Con, right? So you got all this, you got everything in, in August. And then you had to wait all the way until February until more or less you got anything new. And that was just awful. Right? It's important to make sure that, that we keep everything fresh, keep interested, keep it, you know, keep it coming out in bite-sized chunks. You know, there's a reason why there's not just like one super big expansion at the beginning of the year and then, <laughs> and then, uh, one 600 card expansion or whatever at the beginning of the year instead of 450 card expansions. It'd be a heck of a lot easier on me to just do one 600 card expansion. One of the other announcements of a wrapped up in the what you you see is what you pay is is the uh, the elimination of the the blood money rule as uh, it 
has come to be known based on the event that originally introduced where you could pay two less to dodge honor requirements. I know you're going to get a little, you're going to get into that some, but I had a, I have a number of questions that are in the vein of, tell us about this thing that you said you're going to talk about later or that has nothing to do with this design diary. And I'm not going to go into those, but let me try to do one that's maybe close. Well, let's try it at least. So the reintroduction of honor requirements is, in whatever form that ends up taking, is presumably going to end up being a, something of a detriment to higher honor clans that tend to have honor requirements. One of the things that has been done with this honor in Emperor Edition is to punish higher honor clans in some ways by basing honor losses on your personal honor, in addition to the usual how much you lose when a dishonorable guy dies. Is that sort of mechanic, not even mechanic, but is that sort of design principle with honor loss causing cards carrying through? Yeah, I mean, I think that's worked out pretty well to where it's no longer a situation where when a scorpion faces a spider player, the spider player hopes he flips all three Oyasatos on turn one or else he just scoops, right? <laughs> and in uh, somewhat of an inverse to, you know, the higher honor clans. You know, I think I think the scaling has worked out pretty well. So, I mean, that, that general philosophy is carrying through. One thing that getting rid of the blood money rules has done, combined with the auto-proclaim, where you get to gain your honor for buying a guy once per turn without paying the extra two, is it has allowed us to use the honor requirement stat as a little bit of a clock. Let's say we, you know, nobody liked the turn two Kuan, right? I mean, that's just a reality. Everybody hated turn two Kuan. But imagine if Kuan had, say, a seven honor requirement. Well, you know that on turn two back then, you'd buy one guy, buy, buy him for full, you get up to five honor. The next on next turn, you could buy another guy, get up for full, get up to seven honor. There was a decent chance that you probably wouldn't have enough gold at that point. So that means Kuan is guaranteed with a seven honor requirement not to come out until turn, well, the turn two, three, so turn four. So you wouldn't have to deal with the turn two Kuan. Oh, congratulations, you got that flip. You win the game. So it, it it has given us a nice clock, and because you do the auto proclaiming, you're not having to spend the extra two in order to get up to meet that auto requirement. Is just sort of it, for people who played Warlord, it's similar. I, mean, I was never huge into Warlord, so I apologize if this example is great, but it was similar to the you know the more powerful guys just had higher ranks, so they were a little bit harder to get into play. We can do similar things now with clan champions, or just with particularly good guys. We just don't want to make sure that. This is not the guy that you're going to see on, or you're going to bring out on turn two. He's going to be worth it, but because of this clock, he is at a minimum turn three personality. Gives a little bit more control over that stuff, which has worked out pretty well. Now, one of the the reasons you gave as far as uh, getting rid of the starting holdings was that it's enabled blitz too much over the years. It has been pointed out that you know, right there was there were blitz decks before. Gifts and favors existed, and suggested that the overly speedy nature of Emperor Edition was less about border keep and more about free gold and too many cheap guys and, and that sort of thing. When when you are looking at, let's presume, uh, trying to prevent Blitz from getting out of hand in 
in Ivory Edition, what are you doing to address that in your design other than shifting away from having a starting holding? Well, I mean, certainly because everything else we're doing about the game, Blitz has become much less of a factor. I mean, you'll always be able to buy it or build a deck to where you can you know, try to buy a guy turn one and take a province turn two. But as people point out, Blitz existed before uh, starting holdings did. But the reasons for their existence wasn't, they're not like today. So, I mean, if you go back to the original Imperial, you know, the Lion Speed deck was obviously one of the really powerful decks. And you go, turn one, Matsu go high, turn two, swing, charge, take a province, you know, maybe flip uh, Evil Feeds upon itself or Desperate Measures to take another province. Uh, and right, and I mean, these are just tools that, that we don't, they don't exist anymore. You're not going to have Evil Feet Flip. You're not going to have Desperate Measures or Fewer and Honor Deck Return of Fulang did the same thing. Or, you know, as it got a little bit later on, you had Free Gold. Free Gold, just for the most part, doesn't, doesn't exist these days. These days, sorry, being Ivory Edition for me. Um, but so if we take a look at Emperor Edition, we take a look at the Borg, get a little bit deeper into what I was talking about, and take a look at that, you know, the Lion Blitz deck was probably one of the worst examples, and it was definitely a, a cause of a lot of those bands that came out back in, in in the wintertime. And you take a look at that deck, and it was, you know, turn one, by two guys, turn two, swing for two provinces. Uh, and they did it with incredible consistency. And what made that deck tick was it didn't have to run any holdings in this deck. So it ran 20, 24 guys, whatever the number was. And then it had 16, let's just say 24. I think it was lower than that. Then it had 16 free slots to do whatever it wanted to. So not only was it buying two guys turn one and then swinging for a couple provinces turn two, but it was able to run all these events that would help it along the way. So if you look at like all that will be lost, that was not really run in any decks outside the Blitz because it was, it was an okay card. And if you ran it in a normal, mid-game military, it would, you know, set up a slightly more advantageous attack. But for the most part, it wasn't really, it wasn't worth the deck slot, and it wasn't worth playing the costing of the dynasty flip, right? Costing you one of your four dynasty flip. And this was true for a lot of events. So it was true for Harsh Choices, and Tales of Valor, and lots and lots and lots of events this was true for. Because by the time you add in your 22 guys and your 13, 14, 15 holdings, whatever, and then your celestial and, you know, you're left with very few cards until you hit 40 in your deck. But because the blitz deck did not have to run any holdings in the deck, because they were guaranteed to have one on turn one and that's all that they needed. Suddenly they had 14, 15 extra slots with where they were able to play things like all that will be lost and too close to home. And these other cars that the Blitz decks took advantage of to where, you know, they brought out those two guys on turn one. and then, All right, you know, I'll bring out a defender and sure he's going to attack and take one. But, you know, he doesn't do much beyond trying to take provinces. So at the other one, I'll be able to hold him off and, you know, beat him up. It's like, all right, so I bring out a guy to defend and then they flip all that will be lost. It's like, oh, well, fantastic. All right. So, you know, bows out your defender, they come over, they swing, they use a bunch of the cards in their hand, they use, you know, maybe two cards at each province, so they use four cards, take the province, and it's like, well, okay, so you took two of my provinces, 
my turn. I'll bring out another defender. I've now got two guys. I've got a massive hand advantage on you. This is an okay position to be in. You know, meanwhile, the blitz deck brought out a couple more guys. It's like, okay, this is, you know, it's not awful, but I can come back. And then they flip. Maybe another all that will be lost. About one year, two defenders. And they flip a harsh choices. Draw three cards. <laughs> it's like, well, crap. So all my advantage is that I just had one away. And now they're going to be swinging. They're going to take one province and probably kill your lone defender at the other and win the game. And they were able to do this because they didn't have to actually run any holdings in their deck. So pretend Border Keep didn't exist. They've got two options here. They can just still not run any holdings in their deck, and they're only they're going to buy one guy on turn one, one guy on turn two, one guy on turn three. You know, that's not going to be fast enough to blitz. It's not going to do anything. Or they have to put holdings in their deck to make sure they flip it. So let's say they put in nine or twelve holdings. Well, suddenly all those free slots that they had to run these events, these all that will be lost, these too close to homes, these harsh choices, and you know a dozen other that were helping them along, preventing you from defending, refilling their hand after they dropped it, all these things that they were getting, you know, preventing you from being able to take actions without presence, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They would have to take all those events out if they wanted, or at least a large portion of them, if they wanted to put the holdings in to make sure that they got that holding that they need on turn one. So it's a pretty deep analysis, and I'm certain that most people haven't looked that deep into it. But if it wasn't for Border Keep, I guarantee you we wouldn't have had to do most, if any, of those bans that we had to do for the Lion Blitz deck. Okay, I think that that is all we have about... That's all that I have for right now about the the Ivory Edition design diary that you just did. But because I've got you here, that does segue uh, into two questions that I... Two, two things I wanted to ask you while uh, we were here. First, you've been talking about being able to slot in all of those lovely events and celestials and such. And so, first, I'd like to say I'm very disappointed in you for never making a fixed Dragon Clan co- version of Colwall for events. But... <laughs> Well, because I've I I always feel kind of sad, right? You've got all these stacks of events and regions and things, and you can fit like four of them in a deck, and it's not fair. I want to play with more of them. <laughs> that was almost Tetsu Kamamura way back when. That originally started out as an event stronghold to make it mm-hmm. to make the temptation even worse for you. So, but but the the actual pseudo question is that okay i've 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 looked at calls of madness and I've looked at the rules changes have been announced, and regions are gone, aren't they? <laughs> uh we're getting more into the card types of what's coming, what's going on a later one <laughs> on a later design diary okay, so that was the one thing the The other thing was okay, you talked about banning things. the cote environment uh this year has been. Very heavily, uh, Mantis and Phoenix, especially, and then, uh, which, for which they have, uh, are suffering, I guess. So I don't know if they really are gonna like it at the end, having been. It's, it's probably on the, it probably worked out well for the people who won the Cotes, not as well for the, the run of the mill Phoenix clan players, especially. But, and, and then later, as the arc progressed, that, sorry, as the season progressed, that changed, that, that balance changed a bit as, uh, the Journey's End Keep deck or decks got spread around, I think, because that I, I think that was a big part of what shifted things away from Phoenix and more towards Mantis. But but still, you've got some very dominant decks and clans. And I had been opining that really there's no point in doing anything about this because there would just be something else. But 
Uh, then I, I decided I was really bored of Kalani's Landing and Phoenix Non-Humans and, and such. H- have you looked at whether or not there's anything to do to try to rebalance things here before Gen Con? Or we kind of, we're at where we're at. We've taken a, a look to see what's, uh, excuse me, taking a look to see what's going on to see what needs to be changed. And, and we're having, you know, we're on a discussion. We're, we pretty much keep an open dialogue all the time about possible rebalances to the environment if they're needed. So the discussion is undergoing. I don't know for sure if anything is going to come down, come down the pipe beforehand. We'll see. But, uh, but yeah, the discussion is being had. Okay. I know that probably didn't answer anything that you wanted, but. <laughs> no, it just, uh, yeah, it's, it seemed like, uh, I, I guess, yeah, from the outside, it seemed like, right, Kalani's Landing is something that could very easily be targeted because you can just, I mean, if nothing else, you can just nuke Kalani's Landing without really affecting anything else. Lizard Wizards, Phoenix has so many different strong decks, and the things in Lizard Wizards tend to be uh, a, a lot, of, I mean, unless you specifically went after maybe the non-humans, that's a, a lot of the stuff in that deck ends up in some form in, in other decks as well, so it that probably makes a harder harder target, but it it just right. seemed like, hey, you know, it's a, it seems like the sort of thing that one, one should ask, since we've uh, got you on the line, and uh, Gen Con's not, that Gen Con's less than a month away now, right? Uh, are we within the one month period? Well, we're not going to be announcing anything last minute, so if there is anything coming, you'll be hearing it sooner. Yeah, I didn't even... Yeah, cause yeah I guess Gen Con is less than a month. Holy cow. Uh-oh. <laughs> no, that just sneaks up on you, right? <laughs> uh, yes, yes it does. I did have one more question that was actually completely unrelated to the design diary and that I already know the answer to. <laughs> sure, shoot. Are we ever going to get the uh, Legend of the Five <laughs> Rings scenario or raid decks? Come on, I want some some cool, you know, team-on-one nasty deck action. We're Right, they've had it for WoW. Now they're going to have it for the Star Wars LCG, which has made me think about that. Come on, I want I want that for the next Batik product. When are you going to get on that, Brian? Uh, that's not out of the realm of possibility. I like the I like the concept of those decks. Finding the time and resources and everything to get it done. Yeah, uh, is another thing, but but it's it's not outside the realm of possibility. Yeah, you could uh the Fu Lang challenge deck. Think about it. you could. Could be like the flashback cards. Think of the marketing potential with all those old characters you could make new versions of. Oh yeah, I mean L5R. I mean L5R is ripe for one of those. I mean, there's so many. You have to band together to beat the big bad guy at so many different levels. So it's great for L5R, and it's something that's that's on our radar. It is not outside the realm of possibility. We were hoping that you know, like War of Honor and stuff like that would be would be better. Obviously, that that never took off, but. It, it could be, it could be the next, uh, the next project that we do along those lines. Part of the CCG, but different from the CCG, you know, type thing. Yeah, and I assume that there are no plans to follow up on War of Honor that didn't sell well enough to justify it, right? Uh, yeah, unfortunately not. It never, it never took off as much as we wanted it to. Maybe, maybe take a chance to revisit it. Uh, down the line to see if uh, a second go might do, might get it going a little bit better. But yeah, it never quite took off the way we we had wanted it to. Yeah, it's a shame too. I I thought that uh, I, I mean obviously as you know I 
uh, there ended up being some things I was not thrilled about how it, it worked out as a uh, a competitive format, but I actually thought that War of Honor played really well just as a standalone game for people to play. Yeah, you know, I thought it was a good multiplayer experience, and people often talk about how when they first started, you know, back in Jade or whatever, it was just them and six of their friends, and all they would play is multiplayer or whatever. Uh, you know, you hear you hear those type of stories all the time, um, but it just doesn't seem that I don't know. Maybe just War of Honor is not the right way to take it, but that the multiplayer uh, love is still there. El- people tend to, I guess, associate L5R with more one-on-one. It's teams yeah. gotta have teams, 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 teams. Eliminate those. Eliminate the politics. Just make it teams. Two on two, one on three. That's all, that's all I'm saying. Because you know, my my random thoughts are of such great value. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, maybe that's uh, maybe that's what we try instead of the next War of Honor. We try some sort of team game or something. I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, right. You, you'll do that right after I find the the time to make my L5R themed hybrid worker placement deck building game. <laughs> Any second now, I'm gonna get right on that. Yeah, 28 weeks, you said. <laughs> 28 weeks pregnant until yes. number two. Yeah, I'm sure that's. <laughs> yes, Tw- 28 weeks pregnant. We're 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 hoping for that baby girl is only like a month early. That's what we're hoping for. We we don't really have any hope that she's gonna make it to term. Uh, but that's. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, see, when the second one comes along, Benji can watch her, and then now you have a lot more free time. So, anyhow, that's uh, probably enough of that. Everyone with a with sense probably left about 15 minutes ago. <laughs> so, but uh, thanks for coming on and talking about Ivory Edition. I imagine that you will uh, get subjected to this again later this year. Uh, I hope so. <laughs> This has been an interview with uh, Brian Reese, the lead designer of the Legend of the Five Rings CCG. You can go to l5r.com and check out the latest Ivory Edition design diary. At the time we're recording, the third one just came up. If you're listening to it in the future, who knows? There may be four, five, or six up. But until then, I'm Chris Stevenson, and you've been listening to Strange Assembly. The table is yours.